0: Now having sung praises to our God, we have the joy and the privilege of hearing his word read aloud. It is such a gift to us, and we should take it very seriously. So I encourage everyone to to sit up and to listen and to follow along, either in a bulletin or on the screen, or of course, if you have a Bible with you. We have two passages this morning. The first is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and the second from 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 18 and 19 hear now god's word beginning in luke 10 25 to 37. and behold a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life he said to him what is written in the law how do you read it and he answered you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. In 1 Timothy six eighteen and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Morning, everyone. It's good to be with you, last week I was not here, I I missed you all, I was officiating a wedding out of town and this is uh, the woman who was married, young woman Chrissy Zagurnis, she was a member of our church and she um, has since moved across town but uh, it was a joy to be there even though sometimes you have to sacrifice and suffer for Jesus when you do these weddings at the Greenbrier Hotel. and this is, uh, this is our most pretentious, obnoxious picture that we could possibly take. So I hope you enjoy that too. While we were at the Greenbrier, the reason why it was a blessing is because Chrissy is a Young Life leader in New Albany, and she had um, a, a huge influence on my daughter, Isabella. And she was a, a Christian mentor to her. And I, I want you to know, the number one influence on our kids, spiritually, it comes from, from where? Who? From parents, it, 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 ev- all the data shows that parents are the most influential people on their children as it relates to them growing up to know and love and serve the Lord. But that being said, it also helps to have other people who influence our kids' lives. And part of what we wanna do as a church is we want, to, um, we, we, we want that to happen. We wanna inculcate that kind of um, church where there are people outside of just your immediate family who are influencing and impacting all of our children, the next generation, to grow up to know and love and serve Jesus. And so, you know, last Sunday I wasn't there when um, we, we had announced that uh, Pastor Brady is leaving. He has taken a, a role as a lead pastor in Illinois. We're very excited for him and for Jessica and, and the boys as they go. But um, it does, it does uh, bear saying that for a number of families, those kids were influenced deeply by Brady's ministry. And we are grateful for that. We're grateful. I know our family is personally, and, and there are many families who are, and And um, we're, we're in this series, it's called Grateful and Generous, and we're looking at all the ways that we have to be grateful to the living God for all he has done for us. So week one, which was two weeks ago, we talked about this church and the relationships that we have and what the Lord has done to carry us through over the last number of years. And then last Sunday, Pastor Ken preached about how glorious the living God is and his, his attributes that are uh, communicable, that, that we have in some small sinful measure. For instance, we want to be, be just, we want to be merciful, we want to be wise. And, and the living God has those infinitely and perfectly. And then there are these incommunicable attributes, his eternality in his immutability he doesn't change. And he's not dependent on anyone else for his being. That's known as aseity. And we don't even, that doesn't make sense. So we can't even begin to understand what that means because we are dependent. We are uh, fragile and frail. And we have a beginning. And so we, we don't understand those things. But we know that God is good. And all the time. Amen, amen. And so as we've we've talked about just how grateful all of us ought to be for for the living God and for our relationships with each other, we're now shifting to the bottom word here, and that is about generosity. How can we respond in, in gratitude and be generous with who we are, our time, and, and uh, financially? And to that end, we we sent out a card to all of our families and um, we ask you to, to prayerfully consider making a financial commitment to this church for the 2023 ministry year. And if you are among the folks who did not get a card, I have really good news. There are cards over here, okay? We don't want anybody to be left out. And so you can grab one of those. We just want you to prayerfully consider and then and then make that commitment. It's a great discipline. And just so you know, all of our elders and deacons and staff... Um, almost everyone, there's still a couple more coming in but that that represents about 30 families Uh, almost all of them have made a commitment um, because we want to lead by example and we want to encourage you to consider that and prayerfully make that commitment as well and this morning we're going to look at an amazing story that Jesus tells, one of the most famous stories in all the Bible and how we can apply that to our lives let's pray first Oh God, it is true that, that we need you. Every time our heart beats, every time our lungs inhale, it is because you sustain us and truly we owe you everything. We do not own uh, time. We, we don't own, we we came into this world naked, we're gonna leave this world without anything. And so we are grateful this morning for everything you've given us. And Lord, there, there are some who are here among us who are just having a very, very difficult time in life. We pray for them. We pray that you would comfort them and help them. And Lord, there are others of us who are just busy with all kinds of things going on in our lives and still others who uh, generally are quite grateful for for the things that are happening in life. No matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, we pray that you would now focus our attention on your word, that it might cause us to repent where we need to repent, to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged and we pray that, um, that you would be with us. Send your spirit and fill us so that we understand your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So pull out your, your scripture. We're going we're, we're gonna to look at it carefully as we always do every week. And uh, I want to look first in verses 25 through 29 where we see the justifying lawyer. Man, lawyers, you know? I mean... Uh, actually, I like lawyers. My favorite theologian was a lawyer before he became a theologian. Name's John Calvin, and you know we've got a, a, a guy named Pastor Ken. He's my favorite Pastor Ken, and he was an attorney before he became a pastor. So I have nothing against lawyers, but in this case, this lawyer, he is up to no good. His question is brought about by a wicked motive. That is, it says in verse 25, to put Jesus to the test. In other words, to trap him in his words, to give him a tough question so that he doesn't know how to answer it and so that he might, he might be tripped up and might look foolish. And yet, the question that he asks is so very important. Look at the question that the lawyer asks. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Have you asked that question before? It's a very important question. It's the most important question that you could ask because while we all have a beginning and our bodies will eventually wear out and will die physically, we will never die. Our spirits will never die. They will live forever in one of two places. And if that is true, which it is, what do I do to inherit eternal life is the most important question, amen? It's very, very important. So he comes to Jesus with this very important question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And notice where Jesus points him in verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is written in the law? Now, uh, you may not know this, but Jesus as the eternal son, he was was incarnated, he took on flesh and came into the world at a very particular historical time and place. But he's also the eternal word, who has lived forever, who will live forever. And in John chapter one, he is described as the eternal word. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the eternal word, and then John, the gospel writer, goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, as the word of God, he could say whatever, and it would be binding on all of us. He has authority. But notice where he goes. He goes to the written word of God. He says, what, what does it say in the law? And the law is emblematic of, of the, the scriptures. Um, have you heard of the phrase red letter Christian? Has anybody heard of that phrase? Raise your hand if you've heard of that phrase. It's a it, it's it's an idea that I want to be the kind of Christian that really follows the red letters. And what are the red letters? They're the words that Jesus speaks, okay? So like those are the real, like the most important things. I want to be a red-letter Christian. The interesting thing is that Jesus was not a red-letter Christian. He, He looked at the whole counsel of God. And so you and I ought not to make a canon within the canon, like just the red letters. No, it's the entire word of God. And, and we want to understand, there might be hard parts in it. There might be really hard to understand parts in it. And there might be things that no longer apply to us because of Jesus' ministry. That is all true. Nevertheless, it is the entirety of the Word of God, the whole counsel of God that we follow. Amen? And Jesus did too. So he points this guy, this lawyer, to the law, and, he sa- and as he always, or often does, he answers the question with the question, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And what does he say? Well, he answers with this uh, passage, half of which is in Deuteronomy chapter six and Leviticus 19, and it's, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That is known in the Old Testament among uh, Jews as the Shema, And that word, Shema, is the Hebrew for hear, or listen, or pay attention. And uh, the reason why it's known as that is because that's how it starts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he points to this very important, and it's a summary. If you look at the Ten Commandments, it's a summary of the first portion of the Ten Commandments that is our vertical relationship with God. And then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is a summary of the second part of the Ten Commandments, how we deal with and relate to one another. This attorney is pretty smart, right? That's a good answer. And then Jesus says, he says as much, you've answered correctly in verse 28, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And that is a very disturbing answer. Why? Because who can say, oh, I've done that, I've loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and I've loved my neighbor as myself in every case. Good, I'm glad I'm heading to heaven because I have fulfilled it. No, no one can say that. And that's exactly why the lawyer responds with how he responds. He is disturbed by it. Because he knows he's fallen short, and so what he does is he wants to hear from Jesus. Well, not like in every case, right? So, who's my neighbor, Jesus? What? And, and I wonder what he was he was looking for. I wonder what you and I would be looking for. Like, well, Jesus, I, I mean, I I know all that, but who's my neighbor? Like, who who have I haven't, haven't I done this, Jesus? I mean, I'm if if you're if you're all knowing, you know I'm a pretty good guy, so. I've done that, right? And how does Jesus answer? He answers um, in a very, very challenging way with this story of the generous Samaritan. You know him as the good Samaritan, perhaps I'm calling him the generous Samaritan because of what follows. The, The story is simple, but it's genius. A man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's 18 miles, and that's Pretty typical for for folks back then, they walked long distances. 18 mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It went downhill over half a mile. So there were lots of switchbacks and it was very mountainous. In fact, here's a picture of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho to give you a sense of it. It was so rugged and there was so much crime and robbery that it was often called the way of blood. That doesn't sound very appealing, does it? That's where where he's going, this man on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, question for you, if you lived in Jerusalem and you were going to Jericho, what is your most likely ethnicity? I'm waiting. What, What was it? Who were you if you lived in Jerusalem? You're Jewish. Yes, you're a Jew. So most likely the guy's Jewish. He's going to Jericho and he gets ganked by robbers and thrown down and beaten up and kicked, and he's left half for dead. And um, two guys come, a very, very model, here's how you live your religious life priest, and then another guy who's also a great model of how you live your religious life and orient yourself to God and neighbor, a Levite these both fulfilled very important duties of pointing people to God and mediating, in fact, between God and people. That's what a priest is. By the way, that's why I am not called a priest. That's why nobody calls me Father David, because I'm not a priest. Jesus is your mediator, and I'm, I'm a teacher. But, but these guys are supposed to be good model citizens. And what ethnicity were Levites and priests? Jewish. Jewish. Now, if you don't know about the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, uh, I talked about this just a few weeks ago, but if you haven't heard this before, I wanna, I wanna ref- or if you have, I wanna refresh you. Uh, Jews lived in the south in Judea, and they lived in the north in Galilee, and in between them was Samaria, where Samaritans lived. Samaritans were Jewish, but they intermarried with non-Jews, and they adopted some of their religious practices, and they, they compromised, and they left the teaching of the law of God, and they, they were kind of a mix of all different kinds of religions, which sounds actually very similar to our day today among many people who live in, in this country. But they were looked down upon and criticized and despised by Jews. Because they were seen as like worse than traitors. They had given up the law of God and they had intermarried and now they, were, they, they had compromised. And the point is that actually a lot of that was true. Now it wasn't, it wasn't good how they interacted, how Jews interacted with Samaritans. But these Samaritans had actually departed from the law of God to, to a degree. But here's the thing. The guy who Jesus uses is a Samaritan. This guy who is allegedly and supposedly far from God, he's the one who actually... Well, let's, let's look at what he does because it's pretty amazing. It says in verse 33, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and he saw him. That's the first thing. Do we really observe the people around us who are hurting and who need help? This guy observed And he saw him and it says he showed compassion on him and he went to him. And then he bound up his wounds and poured oil and wine on them. That wouldn't have been um, free. That that cost something. He set him up on his own animal. You know what that means? He was walking while this guy was on his animal. He took him to a room in the inn. He took care of him. He paid out two denarii. And a denarii, denarii was a, a laborer's wage for one day. So not inconsequential. He pays out you know a couple thousand dollars. He offers more money to care for him and then he comes back to see that he is recovering. The Levite and the priest see this guy who might be dead and they go the other way. They, they walk, they give as wide a birth as they can. And there may have been reason for that. For the Levite and the priest, if you touch a dead body and they didn't know he was dead or not, you're considered unclean according to Leviticus 21. That means you have to spend a week away from everybody else. Would have been inconvenient. You know, would have been nasty business. And yet, who is it that does what, um, what Jesus is describing? It's this, this no good Samaritan. And it is the case that um, Jesus presents all of this to the lawyer. And notice at the very end of the passage, which, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Notice what the lawyer says. He will not even utter the word Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. And here's the Samaritan in Jesus' story who's despised by Jews, and he ends up loving his enemy. Jesus has something very important, two things that he has for us to, to understand. And, and we see the merciful Jesus in 36 and 37, the, it's a story on one level that is for every single person, Christian or not, it's a great message about what you and I are to do with people around us. We are to inconvenience ourselves to serve and care for people who need it. We are to look around and help people who are in need. You and I are called and commanded to do that we will never do it perfectly, but we better, be in doing, we, we better be doing it increasingly. That's what it means to love your neighbor. On another level, this is so important, what Jesus is revealing to this lawyer is that, man, he falls woefully short of who he is supposed to be. And by extension, you and I fall woefully short of who we are to be. And so, We need help. We need someone to rescue us. In fact, we are in the story the bloodied man who's left for dead. We are the the man who can't help himself, who has been bloodied by our own rebellion, our own sinfulness. We have been uh, descending the road Not to Jericho that's a half mile below Jerusalem, but a worse road and a more dangerous road. The road to eternal separation from God. And we're we're dead. And Jesus comes as the ultimate good Samaritan. And he goes the way of blood. And he sheds his own blood for you and me so that we, his enemies, might receive mercy and grace and healing. Jesus is the ultimate and, and truly the only genuinely good Samaritan. He's the only one who could die for enemies. And when Jesus went to the cross, you know the words perhaps, as they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. What does he say as one of his last words before he dies. Forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do. And brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. Jesus came for those who don't deserve it so that he might give life to those who deserve death. And you might be uh, a Christian here. You also might not be a Christian here. I want you to know that what makes a Christian is not that every chance uh, that you get, you're a good Samaritan. Although, please do that. No, it's that you can't possibly be all that God commands you to be. You can't possibly love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't possibly love your neighbor as yourself perfectly in every way. And in that condition, Jesus came to rescue you. He died a terrible death on the cross, paying for sins. He rose victoriously from the grave to conquer death, sin, hell. And he extends an invitation to you to receive life in Jesus Christ by simply repenting of your sins and trusting in him. And that is the gospel. Uh, John Calvin put it this way. He said that when when he was talking about this story, he said that it's necessary that men, you and I, should be convinced of our own condemnation in order that we might betake ourselves to the mercy of God. We We can't receive the mercy of God until we know that we are in desperate need of mercy. And if we truly acknowledge that we are like that bloodied, beaten man who can't move, who is ready to die, then we are ready to receive the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed here in this story of the good Samaritan. And so I wanna ask you, do you have this? Do you have have this new life? Have you inherited eternal life in Jesus Christ? If you have not, and you're here, you're on the live stream, you can receive it now simply by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. It's very, very simple, but it's not, well, it will cost you the rest of your life because Jesus says you must lay down your life and take up your cross and follow me if you want to be my follower. So it is both free and it is also It costs you your entire life, and yet it is the freest you will ever be, amen? It's the gift of God in Jesus Christ, it's the gospel. So if you are not a Christian, you can become a Christian right here and right now. And notice that the man says, uh, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see the fundamental paradox there? What do I do to inherit? To inherit is to do nothing, it's to receive. And it's the same with the gospel. We don't get our lives right. We don't clean ourselves up or help 18 different neighbors and then say, God, I did it. Now you can receive me. No. No, we receive by grace. It's a gift. And then we respond in uh, gratefully and generously. And I want to look at First Timothy chapter 6. It's a great chapter. And Paul Uh, writes this to his protege Timothy, who is a pastor, and he says, hey, Pastor Timothy, pass this along to your people. And he says that they are to do good and be rich in good works. So do the work of the Good Samaritan. Do good, be rich in good works. There's so many ways that we could use your help in this regard. Uh, as a church, we, we need your, your good works in setting up and tearing down and greeting and so on and so forth. And there are all kinds of opportunities that you can do to serve, to teach. Uh, we, we need folks like that. And we also need you to be rich in good works and you all kinds of opportunities externally in ministry. Whether it's Linden or Mexico or Uganda or in, in, in LifeWise, um, which is here in New Albany, and all kinds of ways. And um, I want to share with you an example of a guy who is just he's a model for us in this regard of being um, living out this parable of the Good Samaritan. His name's Alex Lowry. Some of you know him. He's a member of our church, and he um, just as a he does all kinds of stuff that I just most of us just don't do. Um, for instance, every day he walks his neighbor's dog. Every day, just because he he wants to help his neighbor out with his own dog and so he walks his neighbor's dog. He also every time he sees someone on the side and I'm not recommending this for everyone, but every time he sees someone on the side of the road, he pulls over and he helps them with whatever car trouble they're having. And I texted him earlier this week and I was like, "Do you mind if I share about you?" and he's like, "Yeah, it's fine, whatever." But he and then he sent me a picture. And he sent me a picture of a couple weeks ago. He was east of Dallas. And this is his new friend who he stopped. He has, like, I don't think he was wearing that to his meeting. It's like he carries a safety jacket with him. And just for a second, I know that that should be like, praise the Lord. And I want you to see the close up, okay? Do you see that? Like, there's a there are two semis bearing down on him. He told me, and I want to share this text with you. He told me that. Um, It was a full size SUV and the wheel was extremely heavy and difficult to to change. And this guy was like, Hey, give me your Venmo. And Alex was like, No, just receive it. And he like kept, and then they've been texting and he's like, Give me your physical address so I can write you a card. And he's like, No, because he doesn't want to be paid. He just wants to do it. And this is what he said I was praying repeatedly, Dear Lord, be with me. The trucks were rushing by, it was scary because the speed limit was 75 miles an hour, meaning cars and trucks were going 85 miles an hour. I changed a full-size SUV, it stunk. The tire was huge. So I just think of that and I'm like, man, this guy, like, what a model. Like, and you don't have to do that, but but we could just be more observant and look around and see people who need help and then express Christian love by going out and serving and loving people. And then generous and ready to share is what Paul writes. It says, to be generous and ready to share... And then it says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And I think what Paul is talking about here is the irony that when you are generous with your resources, you are actually receiving and building up treasure in heaven so that when you stand before God, and and we all will, every one of us is going to give an account. Here, I stewarded these, I gave these things to you to be a steward. What did you do with them? with the time I gave you, with the money I gave you, the resource I gave you. And as we are more open-handed with what we have, and this goes for you students as well, it's good to start the habit now, but as we do this, we are actually uh, investing in this foundation of a life of of solid investing in the kingdom of God. And so I, I humbly ask you to consider this. And, to, and and you have in so many ways. Uh, so, I mean, we would not be where we are in getting ready to get into this building without the immense generosity of the people of God. I'm so grateful. And I ask you to continue to consider how you can apply this with your good works and with your resources. Because in the end, uh, none of us measures up to the good Samaritan. Jesus alone is the true good Samaritan. But all who claim his name are called and commanded to go and do likewise let's pray Father, we thank you so much for your love and mercy and grace we thank you that you are patient with us there are just so many times when I know I fail completely to uh, to live out this um, this story and Lord we we acknowledge that that is true in our lives and we want to we want to increasingly honor and obey you so we ask that you help us to help us to as the the samaritan did in the story to see when people around us are hurting when they need help and help us to act with compassion and father uh, we we acknowledge what is absolutely true that everything we have belongs to you help us to use it wisely help us to steward the blessings that you have given us in a manner that reflects just how grateful we are that you have saved us and that you love us Lord, hear us now as we pray according to how Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen